may have noticed as we've gone along that each of the Sundays in the Advent season have a theme, right? Uh, the first week we talked about hope, last week about promise, uh, and this week as you heard Ricky read, the focus is on joy. Uh, it is a day that is intentionally inserted into the liturgy, a day really unlike any of the first two that stands out like that rose-colored candle does in the lineup of the royal blue ones. To help us lift our eyes, even if only briefly, uh, out of the grave and somber circumstances that surround us on a daily basis, and help us to catch a glimpse of the goodness of God in His sovereign grace, worked out in the joyful birth of His beloved Son, our Lord Jesus. And what I want to do today is take a look at the source of that joy uh, and how we can hold on to it even when everything in our lives seems to be falling apart. And everything in the world seems to be upside down. And we're actually using two texts this morning. One is from the lectionary uh, text, which is from the Gospel of Matthew. Yes, Matthew. This year's focus on Matthew. Uh, the other one's from Luke. So two to accomplish that this morning. Uh, two texts that give us kind of an insight into the inner thoughts of the holy couple at the heart of the Christmas story, uh, Mary and Joseph. At, and the joy at the birth of the Son, Jesus. So please open your Bibles, and I hope you have your Bibles with you. Um, we have it on the screen as a convenience, but it's really important that you see it for yourself, follow along for yourself. And I'm going to be reading uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 25, and then Luke 1, 46 to 55. So listen for the voice of the Spirit. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, <clears throat> when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And our second reading... Is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. This is the song of Mary's praise, the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful, uh, intriguing, mysterious uh, 
story of the incarnation of your son. Help us, Father, to hear these words anew. Uh, for many of us, we've, we've heard these words and read these verses half a hundred times, but uh, Father, by your Holy Spirit uh, that makes all things new, we ask you to quicken in our hearts these words today, uh, and you would send your message forward to write on our hearts all that you have for us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. You know, even in the minds of uh, folks who are only, let's say, nominally religious, the cast of characters associated with the story of Jesus' birth is colorful and memorable. It's filled with uh, dramatic entrances and dynamic words, all designed to grab your attention. Now, the angels, of course, take center stage, right, with Gabriel making uh, his unforgettable announcement to Mary at the Annunciation, telling her she'll be the mother of the Messiah and prompting her to burst into song. Another angel appears to Mary's betrothed, predicting the future and telling him the name that he's to give his adopted son. And of course, there's that whole angelic choir interrupting the shepherds in the midst of their late night rounds to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, those shepherds in turn become early evangelists as they uh, hurry to find baby Jesus after this angelic announcement. And upon finding him, we're told in Scripture that when they saw it, when they saw him, they made known abroad the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Later on, wise men parade into Jerusalem and right up into Herod's court in their search for a newborn king. They're full of questions and fully prepared to present him with gifts of value and of honor, saying, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. There's just one exception in this whole story, uh, just Joseph, right? Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth, and father by choice of his newborn king. He never says a word, not, not a recorded one anyway. Uh, only Joseph has no speaking part. One commentator said this of Joseph, uh, he is the lone silent member of the cast and often forgotten in the flurry of angels bringing heavenly greetings of Mary singing a praiseful solo and wise men's worship and shepherds preaching. In all of it, Joseph is silent. He has no notable lines attributed to him. No sound bites, no quotes, only silence. And so nowhere in the whole story of Christmas or in any of the birth narratives do we hear Joseph's voice. In fact, you can search the Gospels from cover to cover looking for clues about Joseph, and what you'll find is nothing. Uh, they don't even contain even a single word uttered from the mouth of Jesus' earthly fathers. And that's okay. Because as people sometimes say, you know, actions speak much, much louder than words. Not everyone wears their joy in their coat sleeve. And not everyone encounters Christ the same set of experiences or in a cookie cutter kind of fashion. But through his silent actions, Joseph's joy is in being the stepfather of Jesus the Messiah teaches us an important lesson and many of them, but the most obvious of which I think is about faith. Because let's not forget, Joseph was in a real bind, wasn't he? Just, just take a minute and, and put yourself in his shoes. The woman you're betrothed to is pregnant. And for obvious reasons, you know that you're not the father. And she's telling you that an angel has appeared to her, saying that God is going to do something he's never done before. He's going to cause a virgin to become pregnant and that her child will be the long-awaited Messiah. That's a little bit much, isn't it? That's a little too big 
of a story. It's too out there. And not only that, but as Joseph, you're thinking you live in a society that's deeply focused on the ideas of honor and shame and family loyalty. And if what you think has happened has happened, if the unthinkable has happened, and she's been unfaithful to you before you're married, you've got a big problem. Because first century betrothals were much, much more than our modern day idea of engagement. If you were betrothed, uh, your vows to one another had already been taken. Uh, public and sacred promises had already been exchanged, and you were waiting literally and figuratively to consummate the union. And, and so if one party cheats, you've got a scandal. And your only recourse in the face of polite society and the prospect of public shame is to lay claim to the high ground and call off the marriage. File for divorce so that everyone in the community legally and morally will side with you. That, that's what's running through Joseph's mind. But right alongside of that, he's thinking, but I love this woman. And I don't want what's about to happen to her to happen. I don't want her to be dragged through the mud, even if she did what she may have done. And so he resolved, like we read in verse 19, to divorce her quietly. That's the situation Joseph finds himself in. And not one ounce of joy to go with it. And now for us as readers here in Matthew's Gospel right here, we know what's going on behind the curtain, right? We, we know what's happening next. We know very clearly who and what Mary's baby is. It's the Messiah. It's a, the one who holds in himself all the hopes and dreams and yearnings of God's chosen people. And yet, we're watching Joseph contemplate what he considers the right thing while we sit here realizing it would have been his greatest mistake. And so God steps in. Sends an angel. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, which is something God... Uh, does only very, very rarely in Scripture. It only happens a handful of times. Uh, but an angel, nonetheless, who says in verse 20, Joseph, son of David. And notice he doesn't call him Joseph, son of Jacob, which is his literal father's name. You find that out if you don't skip over the genealogies, right? If you actually read them, you find that out. But he identifies Joseph instead with his royal ancestor, David, the first real powerful king over God's people, he says to him, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid. And I think it's interesting to me here that the angel tells him not to be afraid, particularly considering the theme of the day, because you know, the opposite of fear is not courage. It's joy. And I want you to think about that for a minute, right? See, courage and bravery can be defined as feeling afraid of something, but doing it anyway. But if you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart, as the old hymn says, all fear is gone. And now, and now, admittedly, Joseph had plenty of stuff to be scared about. And yet, it's into the midst of that fear we hear the words, what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit, and that she will give birth to a son. And you're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so the angel is telling Joseph, this baby yet to be born is God bringing his promised salvation to reality and doing it in a way that Joseph and often we can really not get our minds completely around. But that this baby is God coming to make his home with us as one of us. That he's intentionally leaving behind the endless joys of heaven to enter completely into the frustrations and the limitations of being a human being. Coming into a world marked by violence and selfishness and pain and sin. 
God coming not simply to condemn but to provide deliverance from the cycle of darkness that we find ourselves in. And that the God who knows all and who has seen all, all the chaos and the complexity of our world, yet still decided out of his own good pleasure, without being compelled by any other reason than his joyful love for us, stepped into our timeline, not just as God, but as God with us. Verse 24 tells us that Joseph woke up instead of doing what he had set his mind to earlier, instead of divorcing Mary, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son who gave his name Jesus. And you see, he could do all of that now because the joy of the incarnation of Jesus gave him a perspective that allowed him to walk on from there through the rest of his life unafraid. And Joseph needed that perspective because of what was about to come next. Uh, we don't have many clues, but he appears to have died before Jesus began his public ministry. And so after this dream, Joseph lived the rest of his short life caring for and nurturing Jesus into adulthood, teaching him the family trade and doing all of it through the cruel whispers of his community and the likely gossip and the dirty looks that probably colored people's opinions of him ever after. But church doing it with a joy that all the hammer blows of the world could never knock out of him. Because despite the starkness of his stoic silences, Joseph could see and sense through Jesus that God was not just giving he and Mary's son, but was providing a way for us to be reconciled to him. Providing salvation for sins and the healing of hearts and a hope that could withstand and outlast all of the joy-sucking difficulties that shoot us down from the shadows of life. That's the joy of Joseph. Now, now obviously, we're not Joseph, right? And, and, and please, you know, your takeaway from this sermon shouldn't be that God might show up to you in a dream. Uh, like I said earlier, that only happens a handful of times in Scripture, so don't go home looking for one tonight. But here, at least, is part of the takeaway. Doing the right thing in the kingdom is not always easy. It doesn't always come with happy rewards or joyful recognition. Sometimes doing the right thing for the kingdom may mean other people think you're stupid. Right? Sometimes acting out your belief that Jesus is God incarnate and that he forgives sins is ridiculed as wishful thinking or a psychological crutch. Sometimes the pain and pressures of this life are scary. And we might find ourselves afraid of a hundred different things. So here's the point. To allow the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done to shape the way we think. And to shape the joy that we claim and the direction that our life takes, even in our silences. You know, you've probably heard that old Christian trope, uh, preach the gospel of all times and use words if necessary. Heard that? Uh, honestly, it's pretty bad theology. Because it's impossible to preach without words, and the gospel and the offer of salvation is inherently verbal. But, but at, the, at the same time, I think there's something there. Uh, and there's got to be an element in our lives, an element like Joseph, whose holy silence speaks volumes about peace in difficult situations. And about the capacity God gives to love others in the midst of trials. And most importantly, the grace that we're given to recognize joy, even in the face of death. That, that's the silence of Joseph. And now for the second part, which is the joy of Mary, the joy of her songs. Magnificent has been called, uh, which is really just the first word of the Latin version of the text. And it means to magnify, which is what Mary's song is all about, right? 
magnifying God's plan of salvation and the birth of his son. And when Mary says that her spirit has rejoiced in God, she's saying she's understood who God is. That she knows what he said in his word. She believes the truths he's revealed. And church, that's the beginning point of all true and joyful worship of God. And an understanding of the realities about him. Because true worship, church, does not depend on the flutter of your emotions. But it depends on spiritually understanding the scriptures. And God has shown that today uh, through Mary and the way she worshiped. Because Mary's whole life was thoroughly soaked in scripture. And we can know that from the words that she, that she speaks. From the words I read to you. Because the song of hers that I read is so similar to the song she would have learned in her childhood. Songs of the Old Testament. Like the song that Hannah sang when she gave birth to Samuel. The song of Miriam in the book of Exodus. The music of the Psalms. But you see, Mary knew the word of God and so it just naturally came out of her when she worshipped. And causing her to do what all godly adoration does, which is to take the focus off of ourselves and put it onto our Savior. Praising God and being joyful for what God is doing for us that we don't deserve. And that's why she sings in, in verse 48, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. Isn't that a beautiful sentiment on her part? Which, which really, it kind of, if you think about it, makes it all the more strange that even though the scriptures do have a lot to say about Mary as opposed to Joseph. Uh, we Protestants tend to ignore her, and when we aren't ignoring her, kind of develop a certain distrust, if not an outright disdain for spending time considering her life. Uh, in part, I think, as a response to the, uh, the excesses and the poor theology of the Roman church, uh, who, who apparently have mixed up these two verses we just read. Because if you notice, Mary says that she will be blessed, but that God is holy. And I think some folks have kind of mixed those up and called Mary holy as in, you know, in the rosary, holy Mary, mother of God. Now, she definitely is the mother of Jesus. And she definitely has been blessed. And she is absolutely worthy of respect uh, as an example of a willing servant of God. But church, it is God and only God who is holy. Amen, somebody. Amen. Uh, she was a regular person just like the rest of us. She didn't have to be perfect so that Jesus could be born without sin. Jesus was born without sin because he didn't have an earthly father. But he had God who alone is holy as his father. And Mary actually reveals her knowledge of that in these verses. Uh, first, she speaks of her own lowly state, if you noticed. She speaks of her modesty, of her meekness of heart in the face of this great revelation from heaven. But she also refers to her human condition. The same one that we're all afflicted with. See, she understood that she was a sinner in need of a Savior, just like everybody else. And secondly, she recognized that she's a servant. She has a servant's heart. She, she refers to herself as the maid servant of God. She knows that she doesn't automatically deserve anything from him. She just wants to serve him for what he's done for her. And she realized it's only because of God's grace that from then on, all generations would call her blessed. And you know, when she says that, it's not a statement of pride. It's a remembrance of what the angel Gabriel had already said in the appeared to. Remember, he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And she has been blessed, church. She's the most favored woman who ever walked the face of this earth. But that should not lead us to idolize her, which is something I'm absolutely confident Mary would not have wanted. 
but rather to show us that we are all blessed if we accept the gift of Jesus Christ. Because, and we've talked about this before, there is a way that you and I can actually be blessed more than Mary. There's a way we can be blessed more than Mary. If you remember the story from the Gospels later in Jesus' life, uh, he's teaching one day and a woman shouts out to him from the crowd. She yells out, blessed is the womb that bore you. Now listen to how Jesus responded in Luke 11, 28. He answered back to that woman, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, now Jesus is not trying to downplay the significance of Mary's blessing. He loved his mother. But he was putting her blessedness in perspective because as we've already seen, Mary was blessed because of her knowledge of and obedience to the word of God. And Jesus reveals here that if you and I want true joy, if we want to be blessed just as much, if not more than Mary, all we have to do is do the same thing she did. All we have to do is do the same thing Joseph did. Hear the word of God and do what? Obey it. Right? Brothers and sisters, that's the joy I want to send you home with today. Not some kind of cheap laugh or a holier-than-thou hopes or a hollowed-out piece of advice for the week, like keep your chin up or stiff up or lift or grin and bear. No, but with the simple joy of knowing that when you've got a serious problem, you know where to find the sure answer. And that answer is in Jesus. And in what he achieved in his life and his death and his glorious resurrection from the grave. Because church, he is in himself the word of God in human flesh for us at Christmas. Bringing the joy of salvation, not to all the world, but to you. To you. And this is where Christmas becomes intensely personal. Because it is not enough to say abstractly that you believe Christ came into the world. Uh, millions of people say that and they are still lost in their sins. It's not enough to say that Christ came for someone else. Because you and I can never be saved until the Holy Spirit shows us that Christ came for me. That he died for me. That he rose from the dead for me. Do you believe that? You know, in just a very few days, Christmas is going to be here. Families are going to gather around the tree to open their presents. My kiddos are already counting down the hours until they can rip into them. But what good is a gift that never gets opened? You know, 2,000 years ago, God sent a gift wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. But you'll never experience Christmas joy until you personally receive it. And so my message to you today is simply receive it. Repent and believe the gospel. And you can do that right where you are. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to repeat a verbatim prayer. But simply repent and believe the gospel and receive with joy the gift of Jesus. Whether it's like Joseph into the silence of a heart made new or with the excitement of Mary at the prospect of motherhood. Brothers and sisters, hear the angelic message today. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And what's the source of that joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the holy incarnation of your Son. We thank you, Lord. Uh, that you're not a God that said idly by and watched the world go to hell, but did something about it, even though it cost the life of his son. And so, Father, how could we turn away from so great a salvation? Father, I ask if there's even one uh, here now or, or listening online or listening later to the recorded message, uh, if there's even one that doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior, that you would surprise them by the power of your presence, that your Holy Spirit would invade their thoughts.
She would open their eyes that she would take out their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Uh, Father, as you promised that your sheep will hear your voice, and so I trust you, even in this moment, that you're calling to yourself those that are yours. Be with us this week, Lord, as we go out with this message of grace and peace. And allow us, Father, we pray to be salt and light to this community. In Jesus' name, amen.